Welcome, affiliated listeners. We have a really exciting episode today with someone that I find not only super interesting, super friendly, but definitely incredibly intelligent. It's going to have some amazing information for you, particularly surrounding surrounding courses and how to make sure that your course is going to be structured properly and avoiding the three biggest mistakes that she sees. And of course, I'm also joined with Thomas today, uh, co-host extraordinaire and amazing individual. Thomas, how are you doing? I'm doing great. Better now that y'all are good. Good, good. And of course, the, the guest of the hour, the most important person on the call is Jasmine. Is it Jasmine? Is it Jaunty? Is that how you say the last name? Jante, like accent. Oh, Jante. Yeah, that sounds so good. That definitely comes a little bit of sway. Jante was sway. Yeah, that's great. So, Jasmine, we're super excited to have you today um, and and just talk a lot of courses stuff and avoid talking about dogs, which is obviously what we like to talk about the most. But um, we are going to focus on that. So, first, how are you doing today? I am excellent. Thanks for having me. Kyle, you're just a delight. I love connecting (laughs) with you. So happy to be here and make a new friend with Thomas and have a great combo. Yeah, it'll, it'll be a good one. And all the listeners, you should be really stoked because we're going to cover some really, really exciting stuff. For anyone that's ever developed info or a course um, or has thought about it, you're going to have some amazing tidbits today. So as we get rolling into that, before we share what those things are, the big mistakes that, that Jasmine's seen, um, let's actually step back a little bit and talk about how you became such an expert in course creation. So why don't you just tell us a little about your backstory and um, what got you to being on this podcast right now in this moment? Well, I started as a teacher. I taught first grade in the lowest performing school in the country, which at the time was in Detroit, Michigan, and uh, loved my kids, my babies, as, as we all, all, all of our teachers call our kids. Um, and that's really where I got my start, right? It's like education. Like, how do I impart knowledge in a way that's fun and exciting? Because, you know, with five-year-olds, if it's not fun and exciting, they're out. Like, you have lost the room. Um, people always say, oh, also, also 34 year old adults. So <laughs> yeah. I know people always say speaking on stage is hard. And I'm like, oh, no, like that's hard. But like speaking to kids, they will tell you if you're great or not. Like, you know, they have no filter there. So that's where I got my start. I eventually made my way into online business, did my own, built my own programs, helped people get incredible results. That was never my problem. I could build four of my own programs and launch them at a time. Like that wasn't my issue. My issue was scaling, you know, like Thomas has this happy scaling uh, image in the background here. And I, I see that and I'm just like, oh my goodness, I could not figure it out. Um, so after being frustrated for long enough, I bought a program about, you know, how to scale my business. It was $7,500. It was with this guy who was well-known in the space. Values seemed to be really aligned, was super excited about this purchase. And I got into the program and it was total horse poop. <laughs> it was awful. It was like the so material clear. Just, like all of it was, yeah. Like, it, like the whole thing was just so clear. He went on a walk and talked into a video or a voice recorder for 45 minutes and someone dubbed slides over top. Oh, wow. And this dude is making millions of dollars a year. With that, He's on ClickFunnels stages, Mm -hmm. you know, he's at all the big events and it just, it completely blew my mind. And I thought this is a huge problem. And I had no idea it was a problem because, you know, people like you and me, and I'm sure all the, all the folks at ClickBank, they want to make a really great product. And it just wasn't a, wasn't a thing for this guy. And I thought, you know what, like, I, I can help solve this problem. 
And uh, so reached out to some friends and sure enough, it was a problem for them. They wanted, they didn't know how to take all this knowledge inside of their brain and map it out and make something truly incredible and transformational um, with clients at the forefront. So that's how I kind of learned to apply what I learned in the classroom and then add that to what I learned when I was selling and marketing my own programs for the first time and, and starting all those up to what I do now, which is build programs for other people. Um, yeah, no, I, I think that it's funny because I, I love that you said that so many of us, and I imagine even lots of listeners are like, yeah, I assume the quant the content and the everything afterwards must be amazing. But I know Tom and I could probably both agree. We've <laughs> oh seen what's in the back end and sometimes like, holy crap. Like, well, uh, and, and yeah. I think the big thing is it's not like people are trying to do a bad job. It's just Absolutely. like what you said. It's really hard. It's a big challenge to be able to get that right, especially if you don't have experience teaching first great inner city students and getting them to learn when everything in their body tells them, I don't want to be here. So um, I, I think it's, it's really amazing. And definitely it's been obviously very successful for you, which we're excited to talk about it today, but yeah, definitely not a, not a surprise to me, um, but maybe a surprise that not enough people um, know how to fix it. Mm -hmm. And it's a bit uh, sneaky because so many experts are excellent at answering questions, but answering your que answering questions is really just like filing through your brain and producing a response, but like creating a program is taking that entire file cabinet of your brain and deciding which files are important, which ones aren't, what's the order and sequence it needs to go into the cabinet and how do I present this information so that someone else can, you know, read it, respond to it and get a result. Yeah, so what, like what is the middle ground? Is there I'm a sorry? middle ground for going too hard, I guess, on quality versus selling like because like, i imagine there's like oh my gosh i've spent hundreds of hours making this course look perfect it's amazing i learned how to be a, my own va basically or my own av right audio visual tech person all that and then they can't sell it like where, where's the middle ground when you're trying to balance making a course versus selling a course i always think market research is really really important <laughs> like you do want to validate the offer before you go and build it and yeah like in some ways done is better than perfect like when you first put it out there, do you need all this gamification? No. Like, do you need really fancy PDFs and deliverables? No. Do you need the most robust, you know, learning management system, like a Kajabi Think of It Teachable? No. Like, you just need to get out there and done is definitely better than perfect. But there's also some things that you want to keep in mind, like instructional design, you know, like how, how to actually help people see the result at the end of the day. So, yeah. And and I think that's a that's a perfect transition too cuz like you said like Tom said it's like you could have you could spend all the time creating the product and never actually sell any of it, right? <laughs> that would be one of the worst things ever. Like it's never done, you know, which oddly enough makes me think of Station Eleven. But we won't get into TV shows that I really love, although I'd strongly recommend it to all the listeners. Um, yeah, let's, everywhere. <laughs> I know, dude, it is so good. It's so good. So, um, but, uh, you know, that, I think that transitions really nicely into kind of what we were going to talk about today, which is, you know, I want it to be done, but I want it to be done well enough, right? So we're about some of like the big three things. We're going to cover three things with Jasmine today to really uncover what are the main three things that maybe you should focus on to get it done well enough to where you don't have to go super advanced, but you're not going to, you know, kind of ruin your reputation or trust or even just make it non-effective um, for whatever course that you create. So uh, where, where would you like to start? What do you think is the first big thing that people really need to pay attention to when they're trying to get their course 
done well enough to, to get it out? Um, the first thing I'd say is, well, the mistake people I often see is mistakes. That, yeah, sorry, I should right. frame that better. What are the big mistakes that people make when they're trying to just get yeah. it done? Well, one of the big mistakes is their content is either too long or there's too much of it. So back when courses started, people thought, okay, an hour a week, people could, you know, my students can give me an hour a week, so I'm going to film an hour long video and I'm going to put that up, and that's great. But now in the world of Netflix and TikTok, we all know that short form is the way to go. That's all people want. Our attention spans are what, seven seconds now? So instead of thinking about, you know, that big hour long module, you want to chunk that into what I consider short form for, for courses, which is five to 15 minute videos. Now, some people will say 15 minutes is too long. And that can be true depending on who your ideal client is and the content that you teach. If you're teaching something that you really need to be thorough with, then I'm okay extending it to 15 minutes. But the key is you don't want a bunch of 15 minute videos back to back to back. As much as you can, you want to tighten it up and make it short. Um, so like, for example, we did an acquisitions course not too long ago, and they had some videos that were full on 15 minutes because we're talking about, you know, how to determine if a deal is a good deal or not. That's intricate. There's a lot of steps to it. And but then there's a, a hiring program we just pulled together and every every video was like seven minutes consistently. So it really just depends on the content and then your ideal client. Are, can they sit for a little longer or not? If I'm t talking to like, you know, the younger ones, if we're talking about a TikTok course, I want videos at three minutes or less because that's exactly who we're talking You're to. Matching your medium almost, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So that would, that's, that's the first piece is like you really, instead of thinking about, you know, like how can I add more value by making this really robust and long, think about how can I add more value by cutting it down to the minimum amount they need to see the result at the end of this, this, this lesson this micro content. Well, and I, it's funny because um, and I, I've actually seen like people will say from a marketing perspective, it is more valuable to get the same information in less time. So if you could say, if there's a course out there that says, hey, in a hundred hours, I could teach you how to be an expert A or whatever it is, I could do acquisitions. And if somebody comes in and is like, I'll do it 30, like I'm a hundred percent, I would pay like double for the 30 hours versus a hundred hours every single time. So yeah, I think that compression, Again, yeah. target market makes a lot of sense. So if you have five to 15 minute modules, do you have a recommended like total length you shouldn't go past for the overall course or does it depend too much on what you're actually teaching? Um, it really does depend on what you're teaching. I always say like your signature program, right? That, that kind of the highest tier group offering that you have, you want about five modules, which are about 45 minutes. And then you want about five lessons inside of each of those modules that are five to 15 minutes. So at the end of the day, you have about 25 lessons, but you have five modules. So it helps your learners like chunk that content in their brain, see where they are on the path toward, you know, the, the ultimate destination. Towards completion of it. Yeah, that makes yeah. sense. So, and do you, do you kind of make sure that you structure that a certain way then with the modules? Like, cause I imagine I would think too, that's just easier to not, get overwhelmed because I'm sure you probably experienced and seen some courses where you log in. There's so much stuff 
you're like, I'm never going to learn all this. Like, I don't even want to start. Like, you know, let me just quit before I get started. So I'm just wondering if there's maybe a display or maybe a preference of how you might organize that from a design perspective with five modules. Yeah, I think that, you know, those having those five modules are great because each one of those is like a mini outcome to the bigger outcome. So all along the way, they're feeling like they're winning, like they've celebrated something. Um, so like, you know, we're on a podcast right now, we're helping a friend build a pod, how to launch a podcast. And so the first module is about how to create your podcast. And then the second one is about how to create your launch episodes. And then it's like how to build your launch team, how to analyze. So all along the way, they're just feeling more and more and more successful. Like they're getting to the ultimate result, which is, you know, they have a top 200 podcast launch. Nice. Okay. That's awesome. And so, but is there like any way you display or show that from a design perspective, like when they log into the course, is there some specific things that you do for that? Um, it depends on the platform. Okay. But as far as user experience, I don't like to show them every module at once, right? It's ideally, they're just looking at like Kajabi is a great example. Um, in their viewer, you'll see on the left, like the video you're mm -hmm. watching. And then on the right is the listing of all of the lessons inside of that module, which is also why I don't like to have like 20 lessons inside of one module, because even if those 20 lessons are three minutes long, it feels like such a huge lift. Yeah. Yeah. Especially with short attention span. The last thing I want is 20 of anything, unless it's cookies. I'll take 20 of those all day, but yeah, not necessarily. <laughs> Training. Yeah, 20 puppies. Oh my goodness. Yeah. <laughs> I was curious, how important is completion rate to you? Like I, some course people are like, yeah, it doesn't matter if they get some great value out of lesson one and they leave, that's fine. Other people are like, no, you should have ver as big of a completion rate as possible on your course. Where do you fall in that opinion? Yeah, this kind of gets into the second mistake people make, which is assuming just because someone bought your program they're going to watch it and take it and get the result. Right. And, um, which is why course completion rates come up a lot. Now I am not a person who will blanket on saying that like course completion rates are important for everyone. Cause I really don't think there are, there's different kinds of programs out there. Like, um, one I call the panic button program. Like I have a huge issue and it's really hot and urgent and like, I need to solve it tomorrow. And, an example of this is actually a program that helps people um, understand how to get through panic attacks. Mm -hmm. And so I have a dear friend who took this program and he said that he watched one video and got the result because in that one video, he learned how, what to do during a panic attack to put it at ease. He did. I mean, if he, he if we logged in and looked at his course completion, it would be like 2%, but he totally got the result. He would be a testimonial. He would do it like you know, a video for that person because they've really changed his life. So if you have that kind of program, course completion rates aren't really that important for you. Um, now, the second type of program is what I call like the encyclopedia. So they have everything in the kitchen sink about a certain topic. So a good example of this is um, James Wedmore's Business by Design program. Do you guys know him? He It's like all these different ways to launch. Every launch you could do, really good stuff, but it is so big. It's more of a resource and less of a course. And so gotcha. yep. same thing, course completion rates, does he want to track them over time? Sure. Are they the most important thing to him? Probably not. 
And then you have, you know, the step-by-step program, which is, you know, you kind of got to do all the things to see the end result, like this podcast program I've mentioned. And then of course, completion rates become really, really important. That makes total sense. Thank you for breaking that down. I was curious on the first part, like that panic attack one, if someone's, if they find that most of the audience is getting the big need they have in that first part and they only have 2% completion rate, is there, should they just simplify their course and condense it down to that and then do something with the rest of the content and something else? Or do you have it stay up there as a full course, even though people aren't watching it? I mean, I, it, it depends if that's the norm. Like if that's what is happening for everyone in the program, then there's ways to take the other content, which I would call like, what if content kind of more exclusions than the rule and transform it. Like in, in one program right now, we're doing tax strategies and there's a lot of what if questions that come to tax strategy. So rather than her walking through all of those, what if scenarios via video, we're making like an FAQ doc. So what if this, what if that? So everybody's taken care of just, you know, with their individual situations, but we don't have to all watch a video about, you know, all the different ways this could go. Gotcha. Gotcha. Makes total sense. So, so given, let's go back to that panic, um, panic attack tax situation, or we'll say more of the panic attack one. So if, if understanding the completion rates aren't really what the measurement of success could be for a program like that, knowing that you just want them to have value and hopefully stop having panic attacks or know how to, to deal with that. What is the measurements or maybe the, how do you measure that the course is accomplishing that? What are the, the metrics that you would look at in that situation? I look at repurchase rate. Well, panic attacks might not make sense for that because they solve the problem. <laughs> but yeah. like if they had, um, maybe there's another program around like mindfulness attached. Like now that you're through the panic attacks, how we really like embody peace and calm. So in some instances, repurchase rates, referrals, referral rates would be great to look at. Um, And also like what a net promoter score. Mm. Like this is the most underused metric, I think, in course creation world. And it's so effective at tracking, you know, where do people really land on the scale of one to th- so that's- I, mean, I imagine most of our listener base knows NPS, but for the few that might be like, what is that? Can you break down what the net promoter score is and how you'd use it for this kind of customer? Yeah. So it's, it's simple. It's on a scale of one to 10. How likely are you to, I can't remember the exact wording, but it's like, how likely are you to refer us mm-hmm. to a friend? And so you have detractors and I think detractors are like one to six. And if they're one to, I think it's one to six. Is that right, guys? It is. It's one to six. Yep. So if it's one to six, it's like they really, that's not good. Like you really, you don't, they're going to actually pull away from sending you new business. They might be that person. And this happens at masterminds all the time. People will be like, I took that guy's program and it was okay. You just lost a client. Like, and now that guy who's never taken your program is going to go to another friend and say, yeah, well, my buddy said it was just okay. So that's like just okay isn't good enough, right? It's <laughs> yeah. especially in this space. Yeah, yeah. Well, I don't know how how much stuff we really. Yeah. I mean, they did the whole AT and T campaign on okay, right? Oh, that's just okay, and what that really means in our vernacular of recommending <laughs> stuff that no one's buying and spending money for okay, unless you're buying, you know, internet in Boise, Idaho, because all of it sucks. But. <laughs> <laughs> 
preach. Yeah. When when do you when do you find the best time to send that NPS review to? A well, actually, days? hold on, we didn't we didn't cover the rest of the NPS, so we should probably let, let's finish that and we'll circle oh, on right. that. Yeah. yeah. So right. so yeah, one to six are your detractors, and then seven eight is that. Yeah, I'll let you go on with the rest of it. Yeah. So seven eight, I can't remember what the name of it is, but it's a neutral. neutral. Yeah, neutral. Yep. And then um, nine and ten are like your advocates, your raving fans, your promoters, mm-hmm. um, and. I mean, like, we have a 9.8 NPS for my company, and I am completely based on referral. (laughs) Like, completely based on referral, and, like, the only – which it can be a scary thing as a service provider, but when I know that's my number, I sleep a little easier at night because it is true. Like, those are the people who will advocate for me in rooms I can't be in on podcasts that I'm not speaking on, like it's, it's huge. And then, so just, just to kind of finish that, the the scoring system is like your detractors are negative. So that'd be a negative, like one or whatever it is, zero for your neutrals. And then it's a positive for anyone that's a nine, nine, 10. So yeah, if you're getting average 9.8, that's almost all, you're barely even getting neutrals. It's almost all, you know, promoters at that point. Mm -hmm. So So then Thomas's question certainly back because I will say so I, I I think the NPS is amazing just to validate even more and I grew up on a lot of this actually in my my college years when I was a manager at a call center and that was like when we went through NPS that became a huge thing which funny enough NPS for um, is Directv who I worked for not super high we we were we were negative numbers when okay. we started and that was better than. Other TV have, shows. Oh, I guess if everyone's one through six. Yes, negative, yes. Right? Okay. There were plenty of people that would not refer. <laughs> There's lots of detractors there. Um, so sometimes I think people wanted to give us negative numbers that they knew they could go on low enough on the scale. But but anyway, yeah, it was it was such a huge and transformative metric because it completely changes the way you think about an interaction when you realize that you want them to not just be satisfied with, hey, we solved the problem, but we solved it well enough that you want to go tell other people about your company, about the solution. So um, it really is a, is a great way to evaluate and think about all your interactions with your customers. Because it's not, are your needs met? It's, are you raving about how your needs are met that you want to share it with others, actively and proactively share it with others? So so yeah, going back to Thomas's question, um, like how do you go? Because I, I think sometimes that can be complicated and hard to figure out the ways to when you should be surveying and ask those questions. So what are the points that you end up doing and how do you do that with a lot of your courses? Yeah, we tend to do um, a before and after. I mean, this is kind of an answer to the question. We tend to do a before and after assessment of some sort that's the same. So you can see a side-by-side comparison. So the easiest way to think of this is like weight loss. Anytime we do some kind of health program, it's like send us your before, send us your after, stats, info, photos, etc. This not only helps testimonials, but it just helps you see like literal results. Um, And in other programs, it can look different ways. Like we're working on a resiliency program right now, and there's this specific assessment that's backed by science. I think it's you don't, I can't remember the name of it, but it, um, it assesses how resilient someone is. And we have them take it at the beginning and the end. So as much as you can, like that's helpful. And as far as the NPS, we typically do it toward the end of the program. It might not be the complete end, but toward the end and meaning it's sometimes not toward the complete end because if a program has an element of like 
choose your own adventure where they don't have to take the whole course to put it at the end would like limit you from your audience. Um, and then sometimes we'll do it as a survey and email, like after they've been with us for a certain amount of time, it goes out to everyone, no matter where they are in the program. And we can get feedback that way. And do you do that? Like, how do you structure the frequency of that? Do you just kind of take a segment of, Hey, they've been with us. I just, are 30 days, for example, arbitrarily. Um, and then they just automatically receive that email at that point in time. So you're getting a constant stream or is it just once a month, this day of the month, we send it out to the whole list and see what happens. We usually do it based on when they sign up. Gotcha. Um, but you could do it the other way. I haven't thought about that before. So I like Jasmine. Yeah. I, I, I don't like that way. I was just wondering, oh. <laughs> I think your way makes way more sense. I, I would not do it just mass to anybody. Um, but I guess I mean, statistically you might argue that you'll get truer responses, but you also might right. get a bunch of really dumb responses that you aren't helpful. So, um, that's really interesting. Mm -hmm. So, and so do you, and you're just doing that in in-house surveys, um, that you build yourself. Um, so it's not like you have to do some complicated software to go out and get your NPS. Are you using like Typeform or something? Like what, what's your favorite go-to for like building that kind of survey out? Yeah. I mean, there, it's all fine. Typeform assignment. There's yeah. a form inside of a CRM. Sometimes that's the easiest mm. just cause it's already integrated. Into Whatever's easiest to get and actually use the data exactly. from. Yep. Just yeah. Don't make it complicated. Yeah, yeah, don't overthink <laughs> it. So, <laughs> yeah. so, um, so I one thing. So we talked a lot about the the bleeding neck problem, the one that is really urgent. Um, what about an NPS is a good measure? I imagine that would be a measure for all courses. Is there anything you do specifically for um, the more encyclopedia courses? Are there any sort of different success measurements if you're just going to be a bit of a resource hub with your course? I do think this is where testimonials and checking for client results become really important because it really is the best way to know, you know, it's like how many of your, how many of your clients are willing to hop on the line with you and give you a video testimonial? How many of them are willing to submit that, that survey that goes out checking on progress? Like those things start to become really important in encyclopedia and especially like year over year. So a lot of those, they launch once a year. And so there's some kind of campaign that happens before the launch saying, Hey, how's everybody doing this year? Because that's the kind of program you can use year over year over year. Over year. Gotcha. So are there any, are there any tactics or things that you do to specifically maybe increase the likelihood of getting those? And I imagine on the phone to me, I think if you get somebody on the phone, especially with zoom, like those are the most powerful testimonials. Um, in fact, we even have a, a client that has a great intro to VSL, which literally like her interviewing testimony. It's like uh, so awesome and such an immediate trust builder. So I'm just kind of curious if there's ways that maybe you found that are more successful to get somebody on the phone and share how happy they are. Um, I mean, like it's kind of gamification e. Right. Yeah. It's like, how can you incentivize them for this behavior that you're asking them to take this action that you're asking them to take? Um, can you do a giveaway? Can you do a contest around the best testimonial? Can you give them the opportunity to come on your really successful podcast? Like, what are the things that they're going to want 
And how can you incentivize them? How can you corral the community? If you have a community, how can you corral the community behind something that they're really excited about? Even like you've heard of the awards ceremony strategy where once a month, once a quarter, you um, recognize all the people in your community for their recent achievements. Well, if you do that, right? If you're giving to them in some way, if you're celebrating them in some way, they're naturally going to say, oh, you want to get on the phone with me? Okay. Or you want to get on the phone with my team? Okay. Right? Um, so those are just a smat it's a smattering of ideas, I suppose, but you just kind of got to get creative with it, knowing who your audience is and what they want. Yes. Well, no, I, th I think having that, that's just important. I think the big part there is some sort of incentive or give some, like you're going to give me, you should give something to highlight back, but it can't be as simple. I actually love the idea of the award show. I don't know. That feels like something we should do, huh, Thomas? Like we should do some sort of like ClickBank award show, you know, for our broader, broader audience outside of even like our clients. Like that, that sounds like super easy and super smart. What a fun way, especially if you have like, I imagine Cycle V yeah, offers. Yeah, there's some courses yeah. where it's like you get like a, graduation exit interview almost mm. right and it's like just part of it and you're expecting it hey at the end of this and they prep you for it right you're going to talk to yeah. this mentor of you that you just went through if you have the bandwidth to do that right and the whoever taught the course is hopping on the phone or zoom and you're getting that exit interview almost that's smart that's where you can collect nps or testimonial and all that kind of stuff yeah, yeah. no that's great that's really smart so <laughs> look we're just brainstorming all sorts of great marketing ideas that we come on here <laughs> uh, <laughs> Well, so, so we cover kind of obviously, not obviously, so we cover a lot of like, hey, not everyone's going to complete it, but that doesn't mean that your course is failing. Really, the success measurement of all courses should be how much they're talking about it with other people, right? Are they willing to get on the phone and give you a testimonial? Are they willing to talk to somebody they care about that might be suffering or have the exact same thing that's going on in their life and share your course as a solution? Or are you just okay? And if you're just okay, you need to do something to fix your course, like, probably hire Jasmine <laughs> and have her fix it for you if that ends up being a big struggle. But that transition. So the, the third thing that we really want to focus on our biggest mistake that you tend to see. Um, oh, no, sorry. I got distracted by something, but yeah, you tend to see. So let's, let's talk about that kind of one of the big three mistake or the final mistake you commonly see people make. I don't know why. Apparently like at the end of the day, I'm not talking as well as I normally do. So this is a bit more of a fumbly episode, darn brain fog that seems to be hitting me. But anyway, um, so yeah, let's talk about that third one. Sure. So third one is not capitalizing on upsells. So especially with the affiliate world, like you are rightfully so sharing a lot of the revenue on the front end with your affiliate. Now, that means that if you are not intentional about creating upsells and an upsell environment inside the program, you're like extra losing out. <laughs> yeah. And so just, just to clarify on this, just make sure like, so we're really talking not, not like upsells where you might have in a funnel that happens post-purchase. This is within the course. So as they're going along, how are you creating situations for them to not only just want more, but buy more um, and make it easy. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, exactly. And there's a ton of ways you can do that, right? You can do soft mentions, which are, really easy. It's just the idea of you know what your Ascension model is. You know what the next product is or program is that they're going to buy into. And at moments where it makes sense 
you mention it with the presupposition, right? This little NLP with the presupposition that they're going to join because they're going to be successful with this program and they're going to have the next problem that is unlocked after they complete this program. And of course, they're going to come back to you because you've helped them so much with this problem. So um, like an example of that, I'll go back to this podcast program. Um, In this first program, she talks about how to create and launch it. Her follow-up program is how to monetize your podcast. And when we're teaching, like creating your show outro, she mentions, and you know, don't worry about this now. We're going to get to the ads that you can use in your outro to monetize that in the, you know, membership after this. So it's a simple way to just start seeding that thought like, oh, when I join the membership. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I love that too, because I imagine a newbie mistake, like what I would naturally do if I was making not that I could, a podcast course, I'd probably make that all one course. (laughs) It's going to be right. And monetization would be a part of that overall course, but you're staying focused on the immediate bleeding neck, which is just creating and launching. Mm -hmm. Right. And then you've got 2.0 or whatever it is for monetization. Mm -hmm. Well, and it goes back to kind of, you know, Jasmine said in the beginning, if you have too much content, it all of a sudden, like, it's really hard to do that anyway. Right. If everything is all in one module that I'm teaching you how to do everything in podcasting, like one, that sounds intimidating as hell to ever finish. Um, and two, you, you miss out on all these opportunities to create that ascension and create more content. So that's, that's plus the soft mention yeah. sounds so simple. It's just like, yeah. it's just natural almost. Yeah. I mean, when we were designing our launch checklist for ClickBank, which is not really a course, but it sort of is on like how to launch on ClickBank, we found we had to make them shorter videos and walkthroughs because as we improve our user interface, we have to go re-record stuff. <laughs> and if we have a 30 minute video and one part of it changes, we don't want to re-record 30 minutes. We want to record two minutes or 30 seconds, whatever the thing yeah. might be. That's another perk to short actionable content. Yeah. So if you've got, if you're teaching TikTok and they might change our platform, which they do all the time or Facebook ads, right. You kind of need to like chunk it into smaller segments or you're going to be very outdated with the ability to reshoot it. Yeah, no, that's another good one. Plus, again, just more monetization opportunities. So just the soft mention, like, let me ask this, are there any ways of the soft mention really wrong? Because it seems so simple to just say, hey, you know, we'll talk about that later, but that's really going to be in the next course afterwards, so don't worry about it now, or something like, hey, like, for those of you that, as you hit the successful, the next problem you're going to run into is this, but it's okay, we have a course for that. You can talk about that later when you get there, right? So, like, is there a wrong way to do it? The only way to, well, I'm sure there's lots of ways to get to <laughs> I would find it. Comes, I'd find it, Jasmine. <laughs> right? The one that comes to mind most is just um, like being energetically weird about it. You know, like it's like, you know, when you're on a sales call and someone's trying to hard sell you and you're just like. Yeah. Yeah. I've, I've this is a tangential, but I've seen courses or softwares even that I buy or that someone's trying to sell and you go into the back end membership area and they're like almost trying to oversell all these other tools that they're an affiliate for or other courses they have that they almost hide their actual core thing. And it just like erodes trust in me in the thing I just bought because now there's all this other stuff that they're just raising question marks for me versus getting me into the content I want. Like it shouldn't be in your welcome video. You know, (laughs) like only mention it when it's, actually relevant and when they actually are asking the question but wait how do i do this next thing which when you think of conversions that's going to matter a lot more too not only just user experience but if 
I'm at the point that I have that need and it's just a soft nudge right over there. And you're almost answering the question before I ever asked or thought about it. That's the ideal thing. So it should be natural, not only from conversion standpoint and user experience, but yeah, definitely don't. Hey, I'm glad you bought an opportunity for me to sell you more stuff. Cause that's, if it feels that way, that I imagine the NPS score would be pretty low. That might be an okay course if that ends up happening. And it's not like you can't have explicit mentions, especially like at the end of the program, but don't have that be the last video in the program either, because it takes away from what they just accomplished mm -hmm. to have the last thing you say to them be join us in the membership or whatever the, the next. Yeah. Is. Yeah. Gotcha. <laughs> so, so soft mention, <laughs> so you have the soft mud nudge or soft mention, which I think is great. What are some mm -hmm. other ways that you kind of, build that monetization within the course? Uh, you can also do, do it again, a kind of soft way inside of assessments, because if you notice something um, special about someone's um, feedback or assessment, you can always get on the phone with them, especially if you have a sales team, you know, if you're doing high ticket sales, and you have a sales team, like allow them to continue to develop that relationship with the customer. And it just gives you a reason to call them. Like it gives you a reason to follow up other than like, Hey, you want to buy the next thing? It's like, Hey, you're a human. I'm a human. We're having a relationship. And I noticed that you put this thing on your assessment and wow, I want to celebrate you. What other questions can I ask? It's just kind of like a natural way to, to nurture that relationship that can lead into the next, whatever the next offer is. Um, so assessments can be good, especially if you have that, that follow up. So, and just to, to drill down on the assessment, a couple of questions there. So with the assessment, is it just like an assessment form? And that triggers based on the responses, a phone call say, hey, we really appreciate you, blah, blah, blah. Like you filled out this assessment. There's one part that we just wanted to make sure that you had all your question answered. We just want to follow up with you and make sure that you're fully satisfied. Da, 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 da. Um, is it like that? Or is it more of a schedule your exit assessment and you're doing it live with them? Or is it a combination of both? It could go either way. Oh, okay. Just kind of depends on the program, right? Like there's, I like to have checkpoints inside the program where they give us feedback. Um, they let us know, you know, their successes so we can celebrate them. And yeah, maybe you're calling them to like celebrate them and say, Hey man, you're kicking ass. Or maybe it's like, Hey, we noticed this thing. We wanted to answer this question. Um, I mean, it can be as even as simple as like having what I call check for understanding assessments, you know, like little quizzes where they answer questions about the content to see if they're getting it. And like, if they crush everything in the first three modules, it's easily something you can call and be like, wow, like you're really crushing this. That's amazing. Um, yeah, this is, it's a conversation starter that can lead to an upset. Gotcha. So just you need the inflection point to start the conversation for a reason. Exactly. So that makes sense. Yeah. How many, how many of your clients are leveraging like continuity on something like a community or some other source of like subscription model? I would say 50%. Hmm. Um, like half, 50, 50 or 15? Yeah. 50. Okay. Yeah. And they, is it usually around like a community or are they doing some sort of other subscription monetization piece with their course? Sometimes it is a different offer. Right. So it's a, a next offer that is a membership. Sometimes the offer itself, this program 
is a membership, like they only get access for a year, for example, and they have to renew every year. Um, some of them, which could be interesting for your people is um, what one program I did, it was a health program and she also has a supplement line. So we talk about the supplements all throughout the program and then they're on supplements, you know, ongoing. So, you know, it's about 50% of them though, have some kind of recurring offer involved. Component in there. Yeah. Yep. I don't know if we have time to cover all this, but I'm very curious on your takes on pricing and where people screw up with pricing their courses. Well, before before we jump into that, I just want to make sure, are there any other like monetization things? I do think that's a great question on the science of pricing. I know there's a lot to unpack there, um, but just want to make sure that was there any other like just bleeding big, hey, you don't miss out on this opportunity to get some monetization with your course. Then we can go to Thomas's questions. The question is the bonus awesome little piece yeah. of content. We're getting um, bonuses out here on affiliated. That's great. Oh, uh, yeah. So there is one more, which is using testimonials inside of your program that soft mentioned the upsell. So for example, in this podcasting program, uh, when we want to, when we get to a sticky point, when students start to believe, maybe I can't do this. Maybe this isn't for me. Uh, maybe she has something that I don't have. That's when we put in testimonials, stories of her previous students who've gone through it and seen the result and what it, what happened. And if you can throw in a soft mention into what comes next there too, sometimes that's great. You know, so for her, it'll be something like, oh my gosh, like I'm so, I cannot believe my top cat, my podcast was ranked in the top 20 of my category. Like I'm so excited and I can't, I just cannot wait to monetize it with Courtney next. Right. And so it's like a, it's a soft way to, again, so smart. Them. but also <laughs> yeah. if you don't have the upsell inside of your testimonials, like, please, 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 please use testimonials inside of your program. It's one of them. Everybody thinks about it on the sales page, but they never think about it inside the product itself. Yeah. That's great. That is fantastic. So. Yeah, that's, I've never heard that before. That's really, that's. But, that's but it makes so much sense, especially <laughs> if you think about that near the inflection yeah. point of an NPS score, because you're already conditioning people to say, not only is this a great program, but I should tell people about how great it is. Right. So I think that's super, super interesting. Hmm, really love that. Um, well, now let's go on to the other very interesting, great question Thomas brought up around Oh, sorry. I want to. I want to give Jasmine okay. uh, before we jump into that as a little piece of bonus content. We'll call it. I want to give you a chance to. Where can people find out more about you? And who's the best type of person if someone wants to work with you on their course? Where should that person be in their journey? Yeah. Well, you can find me on all the interwebs. <laughs> um, you can find it's just my name, jasminejohnte.com. Instagram is probably my preferred platform. Um, if you want access to the ways to make your course as binge worthy as net. You can go to jasminejohnte.com slash Netflix. I'll send you guys that link. Um, and yeah, in terms of our, the clients that we've done for you work for, meaning like we really extract all the wisdom out of your brain and turn it into everything inside of the program and the portal. Um, that kind of person is sometimes getting started, just getting started for the first time, teaching what they know meaning they're an expert. They've been doing what they do for a long time, but they're teaching it for the first time. Um, that's kind of the first person we work with. The second is someone who's launched before and they have a course that's working, but they know it's like C plus B minus 
and they really want to scale it. They want to see higher retention, higher referral rates. And so we come in and just revamp the whole thing um, before a relaunch. So those are the, the main two types of people we work with. Awesome. I love that. Thank you. Yeah, no, I find, and I know Kyle sees a lot of the same, right? So you have something that's okay. It's pretty good. But if they just understood monetization a bit more, customer lifetime value a bit more, probably pricing, which we'll go into in just a second here, they could really scale a lot bigger and kind of drive up sales on colder traffic with affiliates, open mm -hmm. themselves other channels. So, yeah. Yeah. yes. And we, we, <laughs> we love to say sure. that we save 100 hours yeah. for every course creator that we work with. Because you guys know, having put programs uh, out there, yeah. it takes 10, 20 times as long to build the dang thing than it does to watch it in the end. Yeah. There's so much that goes into it. Um, and yeah, that's what we love the most. Yeah. Is just I can't just, just, can't just walk in with a whiteboard and a camera and just film it all. I thought that's all I needed to do, right? <laughs> <laughs> Close. Yeah. We can't do production in one day, but like if you're doing full production. Yeah. But um, no, it's yeah. no longer possible. Well, awesome. And I will just, just plug in guys, like the fact that you can get a list on how to make your course bingeable, like Netflix bingeable, um, it's just awesome. This is great in here, but there's going to be even more tidbits than what we've covered um, for something like that. So if you have a course or you want to have a course, that feels like a must have to go. And we'll make sure we put that in the, on the show notes in the description so you could easily click it, but definitely make sure that you do if you have even a slight interest in creating a course for sure. So on to the next part, the, the big question, the bonus question, the rare bonus question on affiliated. Um, so yeah, let's talk about pricing with a little bit of time that we do have left. So, so yeah, what's your kind of methodology and thoughts around what is the right price and how do I know if I have the wrong price um, as you're going about selecting it? Oh, this is dangerous territory, guys. <laughs> ah, that's just where every bonus <laughs> content should live, on the edge. Dangerous territory. Um, okay, I will, I will throw a disclaimer up there that um, I am 100% an expert in creating amazing programs that help people get results. I would not consider myself an expert in sales and marketing. I'm very good at seeing where the product could go, how that interacts with sales and marketing, creating ideas. Um, and I can tell you what I have seen work with the programs I've worked on as far as pricing. Sounds great. I do know that um, there's different approaches. Some people say, just be the highest price in the market because then you'll be luxury and no one else will be able to touch you and you'll be able to provide more value for your client. And depending on the type of program you're creating, that can absolutely work. Can absolutely work. People just see it and they see that big number and they perceive that the value is higher. And anybody who has that kind of cash is going to go for it because they want the best. Um, I also work with some people who have a more, uh, a, a bigger sway toward they want to make it accessible because they're in a place in their life where that's the legacy they want to leave. And that is more important to them than being the highest price in the market. And they do market research to see and competitive research, right? They do those two things to see what's out there. What are wi people willing to pay for? And not just what are they willing to pay for, but what will they actually pay? Because there's, a, it's different when you ask someone, okay, what, are you, well, what, what would that be worth to you? And then you ask them the question, well, Okay, like, let's do that. Put your credit card down. You might get two different answers. <laughs> so you got to do some market research. 
Um, <laughs> and some also, some people, when they're doing it for the first time, right? When you're launching a, a program for the first time, you can ask the question, how much do you want to make, right? Like, what's your launch goal? And then what are the ways you can hit that launch goal? So if we keep it simple and say 10K, well, that's 10 people at 997 or 1,000. You know, that's 20 people at 500. And then you kind of look at the options and you think, based on what I'm producing, what I think like and my audience what's the kind of program i need to create to create that income so it's kind of reverse engineering it rather than going program first it's how much do i actually want to make first and then creating the program that that matches or you know it exceeds that value mm. ideally yep yeah i find there people don't often think about like what it costs to acquire a customer right if you have a very warm audience who really loves and likes you you probably don't have a lot of traffic costs associated with those initial customers, but if you broaden out into cold paid traffic, if you go into affiliates, all of those take money <laughs> to afford that type of traffic. And so you need to build a margin for yourself yeah. too. Yeah. That's good. Well, I like this. That's not, none of that was dangerous. I think it's, it's, it's good sound thoughts to think about, you know, pricing. Cause I think there is no hard, fast rule of pricing, right? That's the challenge is it, it really, it's what your goals are, what matters to you, how your course is lots of different factors. But I think that was a beautiful bonus answer and everyone should be so excited to have it. Um, we might have to make this a trend, Thomas, get bonus content out of each person as a surprise. So um, Jasmine would be the first one. So um, with that though, really appreciate your time. This was super fun. It was great. Like I learned a ton um, and I, hopefully you did as well, Thomas. I'm sure our listeners learned a lot of information as well. So again, look through the show descriptions. There's going to be the ways to not only get that checklist, but contact, reach out to Jasmine. I feel like she's the person that's going to take your course to where it needs to be, whether it's created or you need it created. Um, but again, just thank you so much for your time. Also, be sure to rate, review, subscribe to the podcast if you haven't already. The other thing I'd say too, if there's problems or people out there that you really, really would like us to talk to, those are what we'd like to see you comment about. Say, hey, Jasmine, is great. Let's have you interview. I don't know why I'm thinking of Tony Robbins, but something like that. Whoever you'd like to see us talk to next, be sure to put that in the comments. We'd love to see it. We'd love to respond and make sure we continue providing great content. But um, with that, have a good one. And Thomas, what do you say when you turn on the light? Yeah, yay! All right, Jasmine, you have a good one. Thanks so much. Thanks. Bye.